0: This is One Ogden. I'm John Miles. Cottages of Hope is here to teach everyone in Ogden to set and stick to a budget. So they'll work with people over the span of several months as long as they're willing to put in the work. They also offer free tax preparation services to anyone with low to moderate income. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. We help individuals and families become financially stable and self-sufficient. We want to try to direct people or filter people towards our coaching because our coaching is where the rubber meets the road that's where we get the one-on-one application of financial principles that are taught but we do a lot of financial literacy workshops and classes as well um, so we can teach in a group setting but really it, the intention is to try to get people in that one-on-one type of coaching so that we can actually work individually on their unique circumstances rather than force everybody in a in a box and treat it like a cookie cutter type program where it's one size fits all And because it, it's really not we get a lot of referrals for word mouth referrals as well from people we, we have served in the past or are serving currently. Um, we get a lot of referrals from partnering agencies as well. I mean, we don't have a, a marketing budget, so you won't see ads or brochures and stuff like that unless you happen to be um, receiving services through another community agency, primarily like nonprofit and government agencies. But there are some for-profit a- entities that every once in a while when we have something uh, a service or whatnot. Like uh, we just finished our free tax preparation service, which is a big one. Uh, and that one is advertised. Uh, we've been doing it for a number of years. We kind of don't even really need to advertise it anymore. They're already real well aware of what we do. Because we provide this free service for targeted uh, populations, for those that are at risk, for low-income households, um, households are struggling, you know, maybe for one reason or another, single parents. For the first five or six years, we did it clear through till tax day. But the last two, three weeks of tax season tends to be people who have procrastinated, people who make a, a, a higher-than-average income. And this is operated a lot by volunteers. So we have volunteers that come into the community that provide this resource. And when you have people towards the end of the year, they're they're often not very um, uh, grateful or gracious. They're agitated. They probably owe a lot of money, and they want to take it out on somebody, and it ends up being us. And so we've said... You know, we've we offered this service for a particular targeted population and those that those individuals and families are normally satisfied or or receive that service in the first month and a half to two months of the tax season. So we've started shutting it down the middle of March and then we pick it back up in May. So we'll start it back up at the first part of May after tax season, uh, tax days passed for amendments for people that maybe have, have, or, you know, were unaware that they might have some tax credits available to them or for whatever number of reasons. But then that's more of a one on one. Most of our services have no qualifiers. This one does because we partner with the IRS, and the IRS are the the ones that really put down the, the restriction. Uh, but it's low to moderate income households. So, I mean, we can help a household that makes up to $56,000 a year, which is a, you know, that's a moderate amount of income. Um, it's right around the median income here in the community. And and then, you know, there, there are some other restrictions to different types of schedules we could do inside of a, a tax return, but that's usually handled over the phone as we're making the appointment. We, we help to qualify them beforehand. So. Our, our staff members, we call them coaches, per se, so they're financial stability coaches. A little bit different with counseling because we don't offer any counsel or we're not advising. Same with our tax service. We don't certify as advisors, but we do talk on best practices. We help uh, people structure or organize a structure or, or a a budget or a spending plan. So, yes, people can come in and request that particular service if they don't request that service and they're coming in here for like a class or a workshop or their tax return, doing our due diligence might work in that conversation towards uh, the possibility if they would if it would benefit them to connect with one of our coaches. We have a couple of uh grants with the school district that that um, we are out in the various schools high schools junior high schools in the community where where we're teaching a workshop on a specific um, financial topic in some cases it could be on an employment readiness type topic you know like resume building or, or mock interviewing or you know job preparation that kind of thing and we also participate in like community events you know if there is a event at a school or at another organization we might do a tabling event in that capacity where we're not in front of a room teaching a class but we we offer outreach opportunities or marketing materials. We were introduced to a concept about eight years ago called the Spark Point Center. And this Spark Point Center model is actually began in the Bay Area. And so we, along with a group of other local leaders, flew down to San Francisco and took a tour of several of these facilities because we looked at that as a potential service delivery model for the future. And we thought Ogden is primed for that type of a a model, and it's a financial stability service delivery model, and it's based around um, coordinated case management with targeted services within a community. And after we we came back, we found that the financial stability is our core objective. But there are, in the Spark Point Center, there are four pillars. And the first one is a livable wage, helping people achieve a livable wage. In some cases, they might come to us unemployed, and we can, it's almost like building them up from, from the get go. In other cases, they might come to us employed, but it's, it might be an underemployed scenario or something where they might have a capacity or need a capacity to earn more income than we are able to engage in that, those types of conversations through our workforce readiness services. Our founders, um, they had done really well in the private sector in Salt Lake, and they had since retired. And, but um, one of our founders was born and raised here in Ogden, and so naturally you kind of return to your roots. And he saw, this is back in the uh, mid-2000s, like 2006, he started noticing the dire situation, uh, circumstances here in the city that raised him. Even though the economy at the time, it was before we had the recession, so at the time it was really, really strong. Unemployment was like 25 or 2.7% back then. So it wasn't that an overall downturn, but it was here in the downtown area of Ogden where he, he had all his childhood memories he saw. It was just in a bad situation. But they did really well in the private sector, and they wanted to do something to give back to the city that helped raise him. And so they, they bought this property, and they just committed to... Uh, funding it fully funding it for the first three years of the um, five years excuse me first five years of, of our existence because you know as a new nonprofit comes in the town if if we don't if we don't target one of the core safety net services like food clothing shelter whatnot it's really difficult to get your name on the map and it takes time to try to find donors and funding sources and different things like that because they want a history of what you've done they just don't want a projection of what you're Could do so for the first three years or so. We were almost entirely funded by our founders, and then we started getting our feet under us. Um, But our our founders, they just wanted they didn't know what they wanted to do. They just bought the building and they employed me and one other, my business partner at the time, to do a, a market analysis and find out what was needed in the community, so that we're not reinventing the wheel or duplicating services unnecessarily and financial stability was a big big need back then and it remains so today it's 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 not a core need of of any of the other organizations that you'll ever find here in ogden but it's a wraparound need or a service that many of them were involved in on a shallow smaller level because their core might be um you know running a head start program or running a a domestic violence shelter that's 95% of what they do and then they try to do it with wrap around these other necessary services um, with the with the 5% of their budget that they can so it's not as effective efficient or effective and so we thought well what if we could be the baton passing of sorts so that's kind of uh, after our gap analysis, we saw that these are the services or the areas that we could probably focus on and, and be a good community partner and help lift that burden or that weight off of other community partners so that they could really focus on staying in their lane and doing what their core service is all about. They really wanted to be anonymous about most of the – went about their their charitable and, and genuine, uh, compassionate pursuit here in Ogden anonymously. Um They they were on our board of directors when we first organized and within six months they had recused themselves completely because they said we don't want there to be any even appearance of conflict of interest. You know, this is not a foundation. It's not a family foundation and it is a private charitable nonprofit. So they completely removed and and recused themselves from voting privileges from everything. So they're. They have not. um, They did that purposefully because they wanted this to be a program, an entity that was owned and operated by Ogden. They they chose this building not so much because of the proximity to Department of Forest Services, but just the proximity to downtown. Like most of the resources and services, DWS being one of the biggest. But most of them are within walking distance. And my grandpa used to say any distance is walking distance if you have the time. But um, we wanted to try to keep it as centralized as, poss- as possible. So because the services we provide, oftentimes and services any agency provide, they can be not taken advantage of or, or you know, gone un- underused just simply because they're hard to find or hard to get to or that's not on a bus route or We thought we would change the world just because we were going to offer these financial literacy classes. And, you know, we came in with just all of this energy. I think a lot of people probably do that, thinking, oh, well, this is what Ogden's been missing is us. We're going to fix the problem and end poverty and all of this stuff. But reality set in really quick. Um, So we realized that nobody's going to come to our door if all we're doing is saying, hey, we're going to teach you how money works and teach you how to budget and whatnot. Because people are in financial crisis we got to be able to offer some sort of carrot or some sort of a a service that can impact them immediately. So that's where um, our very, very first service that we offered was our free tax preparation service. Because we thought that one of the best ways to get people in our door is to offer them a service that almost any, everybody needs and do it for free, if we offer it for free. And then if we get them in the door, and in the for-profit world, in the sales world, if that's the number one goal is get them in the door, and then wow them once they get in the door. Now they're more likely to be able to be open to any other upsells, if you want to look at it like a, a, that, that type of a way, or you know any other services that we might be able to benefit their family with. They might be more inclined to listen to us if we're able to provide a service that is friendly, professional, efficient, effective, uh, um, simple, Uh, and so our tax service was our kind of our our first service in the door. Then we started wrapping around our financial uh, literacy services, our our uh, our individual workshops that talk about different programs we were part uh, partnered with an organization that offered an individual development account which if you attend our f- four our four-part series you could qualify to apply to a program that is a matched savings program so these were all incentivizing people into not just the program but into uh participating in the application of the services or the education that they're learning and it just kind of grew from there and then our our we, we knew because we were so close to workforce services that, you know, if we're going to help people with their finances, money is the big part of the finances. And, you know, helping people obtain a better wage uh, or a wage at all if they were unemployed at the time, there's not much we can budge, help them learn how to budget if they don't have anything coming in. And so we partnered with the DWS from an early, early stage and have only strengthened that partnership over the years. And they are now our biggest partner in the community we call this a magic bundle employment services and financial services if you do one or the one or the other you're and but not both you're kind of doing a disservice to them uh, a lot of people are under the delusion that if if somebody is unemployed or underemployed if we get them a better job that'll fix their financial problems and it's just not the case water seeks its own level so um, you increase somebody's household income but you don't help them understand how best to get the most bang for their buck how to manage them, the best practices on on organizing finances and managing their spending and and whatnot they're going to be just in a a bigger boat that's sinking as opposed to just a little dinghy that's sinking we do, we're almost like a Home Depot, so to speak, where we want to provide something for everyone. But the core of our financial coaching, our stability coaching, It's really not for everyone, and a lot of people were really quick on the trigger to try to say this is going to solve my problem when they have other issues that need to be addressed first, and we're usually, our coaches are really good at helping them to identify that, so we're not pushing them away or telling them no or turning them down or putting them on a wait list or anything like that. We've we've never been uh, a believer in that. but we're not at our complete capacity for a reason because there are certain, I mean, to be financially stable, there's a lot of accountability and a lot of requirement on that. And I mean, you you could probably attest to this in your own life. It is a process, and in some cases, people are not quite there yet because they have a few other hurdles they need to overcome. And we do our due diligence to try to help connect them to resources that will address those hurdles. And if they're still interested in the coaching at the same time, we can work with them. Um, oftentimes, it, it's, it's kind of put on hold for a minute while they're addressing these other things, and then they circle back to us when they're ready. Maybe three or four years into our existence, we were really, again, still trying to become established. I mean, um, some people knew who we were, but generally when we say Cottage is a Hope, people would would ask us, are you a drug rehab? Are you a hotel? Who are you? We don't know. We've never heard your name before. So we were still trying to get established, and we heard about a, a concept in Florida called the Prosperity Center. And the Prosperity Center is an umbrella program that connects multiple independent agencies' resources in a strategic manner. So we have around here. You might have heard of 211. It's kind of a a hands-on 211, as opposed to like a Yellow Pages type of approach. It's more interactive. So in 2010, we started developing what we called the Prosperity Center, just not piggyback off of their name. And our purpose here was in our Prosperity Center was just to inform ourselves on all of these commonly asked for and utilized services in the community, food, clothing, shelter, transportation, housing, whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> we wanted to be the gurus on what was going on in the community. So we would be talking with our community partners constantly to find out, hey, are you're still providing the service, right? Um, you're still doing it on this date. At this time, um, these are the documents you still need to intake, and you know, so that we knew everything we did, as opposed to just being the typical two one one would say. Well, if you need food, go see this organization, and then you go see them, and and you go all the way across town to see them, and get there only to find out you need your social security card or your birth certificate, or you need a residency letter, or you need you know all of these things that you're not prepared for. So now you've wasted a trip; you have to go back and gather that. We try to cut out out as much of that as we can, and we still do that today. And we work with various community partners. I know the county is, is developing an organization called the Center of Excellence that is a connector of resources, really targeting children. You know they're very child-centric on helping them become healthcare, um, economically, uh, academically. Um, you know they they try to target specific resources to connect them. So I think in general we we play a part of that, but there's a lot of uh, organizations in the community that try to do their due diligence as well and inform themselves on what's what else what's going on around them because you know that's the way we get the word out. It's not through one agency. It's through many many agencies. So you've probably talked with other. Uh, organizations, and funding is always a a topic of concern um, because we, are, we, we can provide the best services in the world, but if we don't have funding to help uh, pay the bills, we can't offer those services anymore. So not, not often, but sometimes there are funding sources that do really dictate what you can spend, how you can spend it, where you can spend it, and on whom you can spend it. You know, I I understand the logic behind that completely because of uh, unfortunate events in the past where things have been taken advantage of. And I know in the nonprofit world, I'm one to say it like it is. I've been I've witnessed some um, irresponsible use of funding and spending, whether it's private or government funding and um, I've maybe even opened my mouth and said it publicly to people, I'm saying it now to you, that happens and it's a black eye, you know, uh, uh, and so I completely understand when people are can be uh, pessimistic or very reserved about funding, you know, and I, that's why I welcome any opportunity for any donor or funder to actually show what we do, show our results, show how it impacts the individual household, show how it affects the community as a whole, and then say, if you like what you see, fund us. We don't do any fundraising events. Yeah, it's primarily on donations and grants. We we did early on, we tried to, because everybody told us, well, if you're going to survive as a nonprofit, you have to have at least two big fundraising events every year. And most of the core organizations, they have big fundraising events. Um, we looked into that, and it is, you know, I it, it can be. I, I'm Maybe s- some of these organizations have found a way to do it, you know, on a, a more um manageable budget um or responsible budget but when we've looked into it it is extremely expensive to put those events on um and and time consuming i mean it takes weeks and hours and hours of uh you know of your your time and your effort in order to put these events on and you have to come up with the funding ahead of time and hope that you make some money on the back end which you know most agencies do but with the result if they if they put on a forty thousand dollar table event uh, and they make sixty thousand dollars and and net 20 uh, I look at what it would take me to write a twenty thousand dollar grant to a foundation or institution that would would take me you know uh, a tenth of the time and not cost me a dime other than my my time now, if there are funding sources out there that I could get in front of as well and they uh, they want a, a a grant proposal great if they want just me to do a pitch. That, to me, is a more effective way of going about and doing it. And then hopefully reaching out to the community and saying, hey, if you're out in the community in Ogden, come and see what we do. If you like what we do, fund us. I'm more than happy to sit down and show you reports that we could provide that would show exactly what your money does and who it helps and how it impacts the the household or the community. And it's amazing how much uh, economic impact can come from a dollar in this organization. And it's a little bit different because circumstances, a circumstance or a behavior, the circumstance is always easier to fund because when you've got a single mother who's trying to feed her children or about to be evicted or an abused spouse or child or something like that, that is heart-wrenching and it needs our attention and it needs our time and our money and our effort. It absolutely does. Working with somebody who was irresponsible maybe with their money or has never learned and so they just, they get a big tax return and they spend it all rather than putting it away and saving and and paying down debt and, you know, doing all the things that you and I do on a daily basis out of mere ignorance because they've never had a network or support system that ever taught them that. Mm-hmm. That's a little harder to fundraise for. You know, I'm going to feed, I'm going to give my my dollar to feed the the mother and the child as opposed to the... The family that maybe just was irresponsible growing up, or or doesn't manage their money well. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and that's that's exactly what the way we look at it right here. If if we can help prevent things in the future, a family that is currently living on food stamps or a voucher that pays their rent or a rent rent forgiveness or things of that nature, right now that's costing taxpayer dollars thousands and thousands of dollars for that family. And if we work with them for a year or an 18 months, and at the end of that 18-month period, they no longer qualify for any of those programs, not only are they giving back to the community in their, their employability, their tax dollars and whatnot, they're not taking from the system anymore. So it's a cost-benefit that they're, also, they're giving and they're, they're not receiving. Struggle. A couple of times we, we approached the city two different occasions saying, you know we would love to partner with you directly. And this was a new endeavor for them. I get the fact that they have a lot of nonprofits in in the community. They're probably all asking for funding. We we approached them on two different times, not necessarily asking for funding, asking them for partnership to say that this is not. We're not asking you for a donation. We're asking for an investment, and here's the return on that investment. We're going to provide these services for your programs, you know, your own in Ogden housing program, exam, for an example. All of those people, if they would be required to participate in our program in order to be on your program, you're going to see a better return. You're going to see more financially stable. You're going to see less delinquencies on payments You're because we're working with them to build their credit scores, to, to build a budget, to manage their savings. We're doing all the back end stuff. It, got, it went down the chain and got a lot of, uh, the, the most recent time was about three or four years ago, and it, it got down to, uh, I, I won't say names, but it got on somebody's desk, and, and what we heard through the grapevine is this person basically said, well, why, why should we partner with them and give them this funding out of our five-year budget? They'll just go and find the funding to go do it elsewhere, and we can still just refer the people to them, and I'm like kind of defeats the purpose, uh, you know, of what we're trying to do here. We're trying to build a partnership here to where you'd be able to report on these services and these results. Now you can't, <laughs> you know, we can. And yeah, you're more than welcome to refer your people here. Until we reach our capacity, we will serve everybody we possibly can. I don't care where they're coming from, who referred them or, or whatever. If if they have a desire to take on their lives in a more meaningful way and to become provide a better life for their family and become more financially stable, we will work with anybody from any situation. But it'd be nice to partner with some of these entities that look at us like, oh, well, they don't do, they must not need the funding. I'm like, no, we do. We need them just like everybody else. Even if we were at capacity, our uh, a goal would be to be able to meet more of the demand because the demand is huge. Financial stability, financial education, all of that, we are almost the only show in town. There are, again, a couple agencies that provide financial uh, literacy classes and whatnot and it's usually because of a, a funding source that they have that requires them rather than we wish they would just come and partner with us, but sometimes they just take it on on, on their own, which is fine. But outside of that shallow touch financial uh, literacy or education, we are the only really show in town and so there's no way we're able to meet the demand all on our own. Um, we would love to grow this and love to have our intent when we developed the Spark Point Center in partnership with Department of Air Force Services and United Way of Northern Utah. Our intent was to build this program and then launch other satellite sites uh different areas, one in Box Elder, one in Davis County, one up in, in Morgan, you know, maybe two in, in Ogden, one in North and one in, in us. That was our intent and, and we've built this to where it is literally a plug and play type of a program. We have shown through partnerships through Department of War Force Services approached us about six years ago and asked us to pilot an intergenerational poverty, even though that wasn't a, intergenerational poverty was not a target population of ours at the time. It is now, but it wasn't at the time. Because of our the high nature of some of our outcomes and our objectives, we took that on and we were surprised ourselves that this model works no matter what the population. It doesn't matter what the circumstance or the situation. It's the model that works. We I like to feel like we do a great job and my coaches are next to superhuman. But it really, as long as you've got the right pieces in place, it's the model that functions effectively, and it could plug and play in almost any capacity, any size, and any location. We could scale it to whatever level. I approached Department of Forest Services a couple of years ago about the idea of making the SparkPoint Center model statewide. You know, partnering with the Department of Forest Services and having this be the financial arm, which they don't currently have right now. We're basically at, but including this as one of their services. And we would we could manage it, but then we would just have a place in southern Utah in Utah County. We'd have a, multiple sites all over the place doing what we do and supporting you know other agencies in the process. And I can see their logic. I, if you if you separate this community wide and say, well, the problems of your of the community should be first and foremost addressed by the community. Government offers some resource to so, help support that. But yeah, I think in the back of their mind, they are hoping that more the community steps up and be, becomes more of the solution. And you know what? If we get a $100 donation from somebody, we're tickled pink. That's great. We can't do a whole lot with $100. It could provide some, some supportive service, some documents, maybe a couple hours of coaching or, or, or what have you all combined. But if we had just a wave of people donating a hundred dollars, oh yeah, we'd yeah. be we'd be great. That would be fabulous. Yeah, like we just finished our tax service program, so that's one of our best volunteer opportunities. I would encourage any of your listeners if they've never if they if they volunteered in the community or never volunteered in the community or wanted to try something different or unique, come and visit us and talk to us about this. We provide all of the training. Again, we partner with the IRS, so all of the materials are covered through the IRS. They're sent to us, and it. You say the word taxes and it can become intimidating. Mm-hmm. And I volunteered at the soup kitchen when we first started off here. I volunteered, uh, you know, at the the shelter of just to be community members and just learn how how it worked. It's a warm feeling you get when you are providing direct service to an individual. This is a different kind of warm feeling. Because you are not providing a meal, you are potentially providing rent and meals and clothing and transportation and heat assistance in the form of a tax refund for months with a family, and oftentimes they might come in with the weight of the world on their shoulders and leave in tears because of what you, the hour that you took to to help serve them. It, it's a different impact a service opportunity that you've probably ever experienced we did a report one time that showed the volunteer hours versus the impact that it had the average income that the people we provide that our tax service to is uh, on average between eighteen and twenty two thousand dollars per year of what they earn and then their refund dollar on average is twenty four hundred dollars So, in some cases, you're increasing their income by 10, 12, 14%. And in some cases, if they have multiple children, it might be 40 or 50% their annual income that they are receiving. That your volunteer hour, uh, you could put a dollar value on that of $1,600 per hour of volunteer work. I mean, think about that. If you volunteered four hours at $1,600 an hour of financial impact, you had. When we started this we we started the organization very uniquely too. We are not social workers. We are we don't we don't look at it through a social worker eye. We both came from the private sector. I I was an operations manager before and my business partner was a controller. So we only have ever looked at this as a for-profit approach to providing a service. And if you look at it through that because it is a business and we do have to be responsible that way, but we think that way when we report. And when we report, I want to put a monetary value on everything we do. So if you donate this much to us, I want to show you monetarily what that provides. If you donate time, I want to show you monetarily how much your time impacts. Now, I don't know what you get paid per hour, but I'm going to assume it's not $1,600 per hour. And when you're able to tell somebody that that's legitimately, legitimately, not an estimate, legitimately, we're being very conservative about this. That's the impact you're having per volunteer hour. For any of your listeners that are not accountants, uh, begrudgingly do their TurboTax tax on their own or maybe go to their own CPA or friend or neighbor or Liberty Tax, heaven forbid, or H&R Block. I shouldn't even use those names because I'm not plugging them at all. Those predatory institutions. Anyway, they are intimidated. So they look at that and go, ooh, I I don't even like doing my own taxes, let alone providing that. the The training takes care of all of it, and the software, it's, again, we partner with the IRS, and the IRS contracts with the software program. It does all the work, and the tax returns that your listeners, if they were to come volunteer, would be involved with are very simplified, very, very simplified. Like, typically take maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes at the most worth of doing a couple of W-2s, maybe a 1099 or an interest statement. It's super, super easy. On the coaching standpoint, like the one-on-one coaching, it's a little bit more difficult to come in and volunteer for um, because it's not really a mentorship program. We get more involved in the day-to-day application of the financial principles. So on the coaching side, it's a little bit more difficult to find a volunteer unless the volunteer had dedicated scheduled hours that they would be willing to to donate. We just barely had a new website done, and um, I believe we've got our PayPal. Um, connected to our website, so people could go on and donate that way. But we do receive like checks in the mail. That way is a little easier for us to do a paper trail because then we can turn right around and provide a a thank you letter and a receipt for that. You don't need to bring a big check like they do in those presentations. But if you have one, that would be great. And We could a f- little photo op. I'm, we're not really big on like photo ops, and maybe we should. I'm like I'm not I'm not a credit hound. I'm not going to looking for pats on the backs and. Th- I even tried to find three other people that would. Sit down. You right now. so yeah it wasn't in this episode i uh, accidentally switched my mic off right as we got started but i think it kind of worked i don't know what do you think did you miss me saying yeah a whole bunch i think you should go leave us a comment on instagram or facebook or youtube and tell me did you was it better Oh tell your friends